What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Celtics Talk podcast, a very charade-less, very draperless podcast. And it's not their fault. Gasper, Chris Gasper is alongside. I should I should preface with, with that. Uh, but this is a little different because everyone's traveling. It's the playoffs. It's a busy time of year. It's hard to get three guys together. And I've corralled Christopher L. Gasper of the Boston Globe. And I want to start with this, Gas. Yeah. When we uh, first met in like 1999 and yeah. we're covering high school football for the Boston yes, Globe. That's correct. I, I've always felt like I said t- two decades from now, we will sit in a podcast room because podcasts were huge back then uh, and talk about the Boston Celtics. You know, I felt like you might be the real life Tony Stark Iron Man because nobody had more <laughs> gadgets or technology back in 1999 filing from high school fields and uh, ice hockey rinks or gyms than one Chris Forsberg. He had ways to file stories that I don't even think had been developed. I mean, really, I, I thought, you know, you, you'd either be Tony Stark or you'd be like, you know, Google. You'd be working for Google or maybe you'd be Mark Zuckerberg. I, I thought you were headed that route. I didn't think you would lower yourself <laughs> with the rest of us ink-stained wretches and, well, and cover sports. I've actually spent the last tw- 20 years building this podcast studio so that we could <laughs> <laughs> do this. Uh, I'm glad the, uh, the equipment has impressed you. Uh, but yeah, like eventually, that, that, uh, my entire career has been based on uh, being more technologically advanced than everybody else to disguise the fact of my lack of reporting skills, which you actually have. So No, not true. You are an early <laughs> adopter, though. You really are. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, I've dragged you in here because... Uh, as we wait, we have two games completed up in Milwaukee. They split up there. So obviously, the Celtics played really well in game one, did not play so well in game two. How are you feeling about the team right now? Well, look, overall, big picture, Chris, I think they did what they needed to do, which was get a split. They obviously don't have home court in this series. But when you look at it, I sort of feel like the series hasn't started yet because the first game, game one, I didn't think the Bucks looked like the Bucks. They seem to be more affected by the layoff than the Celtics. And, you know, the Celtics beat him by 22. And then the Bucks come back and beat the Celtics by 21. This series is ultimately going to be decided by who's the better team, who can execute better and be more precise in a close game when both teams are some reasonable facsimile of what they are, right? And we haven't seen that yet. So far, it's been like, okay, you know, one team shows up, they have it that night. The other team, not so much. And I just don't see the series going that way for six or seven games. You know what's funny is uh – before the series, I was very bullish on Boston. And I've been on the Bucks bandwagon for like the entire year because I thought Giannis was going to make this leap. I thought Budenholzer sort of changed them uh, and was going to give them a better chance to be successful. And yet, I thought they still weren't ready for this stage. And so I was very – I thought the Celtics had a really good chance to win this series. Now they go up to Milwaukee and they split 1-1. And now as they come back to Boston, I'm sort of like, ah! I don't know if the Celtics are going to win this series because, and maybe I'm overreacting to what we saw in game two, but as good, again, as good as the Celtics were in game one, I'm wondering which one was the outlier. And I don't quite know yet the answer to that. And, and so, you know, like Giannis still hasn't had that sort of dominant game. And so maybe Kyrie will, but I, I'm still, the jury is still out to me. And here's, here's why I'm really concerned. I'm going to give you some odds. When the series was, was oh, oh going in, ESPN's Basketball Power Index gave the Celtics a 25% chance of winning that series. Ooh, that feels low. That's real low, right? Like, yeah, so, that feels but, low. Now, remember, too, like their BPI is based partly on regular season performance. So the Celtics were up and down, right? Like they, and they have been a different team in the playoffs, though. You could make the case that we don't quite know based on that Indiana series. When they won game one, it only went up to 46%. 
which again seems low, right? Like a one-zero advantage. You, they essentially stole home court, and now after going to one-one, it, it drops to thirty-six percent. And so what that tells me is that again, the season has suggested that the Bucks are just right now are just on a different level. Like when they play to their capabilities, they're on a different level. And yet I can't rule out the fact that the Celtics can uh, are the deeper team, can put it together. I just I I don't know. I don't feel like. Coming home, I don't see them just dominating on, at the Garden. I think it'll help, but I'm just not convinced yet that the Celtics are capable of putting together three dominant games at home. And so I guess that's my hesitation. Like, because if the Bucks all of a sudden steal one, all of a sudden they, it, I think their percentage goes up to like 72 percent to win Ooh. the series. So, it, 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 like, I, I, and I'm not just like pitching it to the numbers. I think it's important, but it it just leaves me leery that the Celtics, I haven't seen it over a large enough sample yet to think that they can play consistently, and that's why Game 2 scared me. No, you're right, Chris, and I think the the question mark for the Celtics is when you get a little bit of adversity, when things Mm -hmm. don't go your way, how do you respond to that? Do you respond by playing your best basketball and doing it consistently and doing it in multiple games in a row? Because we didn't see that during the regular season. Look, it was all peaches and cream up until game two in Milwaukee. <laughs> I mean, they hadn't lost in the playoffs. Right. And they're either, you know, either blowing teams out or they're basically being able to take control of the game whenever they want to, which is what happened against Indiana. And really, up until game two, I don't think any team in the postseason had put together – a, a halfway decent offensive game against them until game two when the Bucks right. hit the 23-pointers. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, the Bucks aren't going to do that. It's like, well, they might because <laughs> the Celtics' defensive game plan is to give up those threes. The Bucks have built a roster to take threes. You know, they launched as many threes as anybody in the league. And they're gonna. That's the way the Bucks are going to play. And so, you now how do the Celtics adjust when they're confronted with an, a team that has offensive capability and the ability to score the basketball and do it repeatedly and do it consistently and do it from the outside? Because up to this point, they haven't been confronted with that. You played an Indiana Pacers team that I, I grossly <laughs> overestimated how much their grit and grind and heart and hustle would make a difference. They just could not put the ball in the basket enough. And then again in Game One, I thought the Bucks. As evidenced by Giannis going 7-for-21, I thought they really struggled offensively. And, yes, the Celtics had a great defensive mm-hmm. game plan against Giannis, but the Bucs didn't play like the Bucs offensively. And so this is the question for the Celtics. Bottom line, you get in a shootout, do you have the fastest gun or not? Or are you going to freeze? I don't have an answer. Like, I really have no idea what, what, what will happen. Like, nothing will surprise me. Like, I, I think we know Kyrie's going to respond well. I think we've, we have a, a good feeling going into game three. He's always played well after a bad performance or, or, or his last five losses in the playoffs. But how does everybody else step up? Like, is Jason Tatum going to put puts together some offensive consistency in this series? Every time I write about Gordon Hayward, I feel like I jinx him. And he comes out <laughs> and he plays terrible the next night. Don't I'm like, get me started on Gordon Hayward. I am a supporter. Ooh. I like the player. I'm glad he's here. He's made tremendous progress. I, and I'm not blaming him. I just feel like it kind of sounds like you're blaming him. Well, I, I'm not. <laughs> but we all want it for Gordon so yeah. badly that I think we're kind of lowering the bar because he can't reach it. Like he's a lot better than he was mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. But this Gordon Hayward is back. He is not close to the guy he was in Utah. I think that's almost a disservice to how good he was in Utah. Like I don't think people yeah. want. Like he dragged that Jazz team into the playoffs in the West. They lost in the second round. They ran into the buzzsaw that is the Golden State Warriors. He was a. I mean, I, transcendent is a strong term, but like he yeah. was a real difference maker before the ankle injury. He is a lot better than he was in the beginning of the year, and I'm happy to see it. But I would say he is 65% at best, at best, 
of of the real Gordon Hayward. As someone who has written the uh, Gordon Hayward is back to Utah, Gordon like seven times. I have to hit, I have to be more like eighty five percent. So I, I there were again game one. It's I, I get too caught up in the moment. And again, I, I'm fully admitting I'm probably doing that with game two. But game one, Gordon had that sequence in the uh, I think it was the first half where Connaughton was on him, and he yeah. backs off, and he's just like. This dude has no chance to stop me. Blows past them. Shout out to Arlington natives. I'm sorry if anyone's and turning St. John's this prep, Danvers. I'm a North Shore guy. <laughs> and goes into the lane. Five jerseys, white jerseys around him. And he throws this like 15-foot floater that just drops through the hoop. And I go, Gordon's back. And actually, I, I, I think Mark Jones on the, on the broadcast had said right before it. He was like, oh, Gordon, Gordon Hayward looking like the old Gordon Hayward. And then he just goes and does that. And it was just like this perfect moment where you're like, okay, maybe he is close to that. And then, you go, like you said, you go look at the stats. I think he averaged like 27 points in that 2016-17 playoff. Was great against the Warriors, when even though Utah had no chance yeah, in that no series. Shot. And, yeah, it, there's definitely another level for him to go to. And yet, I do feel like he's sort of the X factor here. Okay. Like, because I'll buy that. there is no one on Milwaukee's bench who can do what he can do and impact the game the way he does. And so even if they get Malcolm Brogdon back, uh, they've still got they, that gives them more top end talent that the Celtics are going to have to match up with. But, you know, all right, Sterling Brown, Connaughton, like, you know, like there's just I don't know if there's guys. And, I, and I've also pronounced Connaughton. Uh, Connaughton. It's Connaughton. Connaughton. I, yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I, it's Connaughton. I've done, I, and it is because I like but I, I just second guess myself. And, and now I've got all of Arlington just. Yeah, really Saint, pissed yeah. off at me. No, I'm from Lend. Yeah, you played at St. John's <laughs> Prep. And I wanted to. Say, I was like Connaughton, but that's okay. Connaughton. Yeah, We're I good. mean, like, listen, I, I just, I, I want to go phonetically every time. This, this is, this is tough for a, a guy dabbling in the TV and radio world for the first time. Um, but I, I just feel like Gordon has the ability to, to sort of take over, especially those second unit. And I, I, I really like when he's the primary ball handler with that second unit. And yet, it is. I get it's frustrating. Five shots in game two. Like yes. he's got to be a bigger part. He's got to be more aggressive. He's got to understand that he's sort of the X factor. And I don't know if he sort of gets that or if he trusts himself enough at times to do that. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, he was great in game one. You know, I was encouraged actually in game two because he hit that three. Yeah. And I was watching that game and I happened to say to my wife, I said, now that's the shot they need him to hit in this series. You know, make those threes, stretch the floor, knock that down. Obviously it wasn't his night. You know, look, I think he's a lot better. I agree with you in terms of being the X factor in this series. I think the Bucks switched up. Obviously, their pick-and-roll coverage did a better job with that. I still like Gordon coming out of that in the pick-and-roll. I'm not as concerned with the Celtics from the standpoint of I, someone will step up. You know, Maybe it's Gordon. Maybe it's Jalen Brown. Maybe it's Jason Tatum. In fact, if anything, I think that's something the Celtics have struggled with this season. The idea of sort of recognizing that it's not your night until it's your night. And I think some of these guys, they go into it, and it's like, oh, it's not their night. And you're like, okay. And then they, they sort of check out. They don't give the team what it needs that night, which might not be points because maybe Jalen has the points going mm -hmm. tonight and you need to bring something else. Or Jason Tatum has the points going, so you need to bring something else. And that's sort of – it's both the strength of the Celtics and I feel like it's also been the weakness. You know, the strength is they have so many guys who can help put the ball in the basket. The weakness is they don't know on a night-to-night -night basis other than Kyrie who's going to be that person putting the ball in the basket. We certainly know Marcus Morris will try. <laughs> He's actually been really good. He has been very good in this series. I mean, like, like I, my theory is that Brad went to him and said, uh, "Okay, you can you can start in round two, but uh, if if you have more uh, shot attempts than like good passes, I, I, I'm gonna put someone else in there." <laughs> and like, kind of, it kind of uh, like ransomed him. In back no, and, he's been good. Yeah, Sometimes it's matchups too. I think again, I think yeah. he's a good matchup. You know, Al is a tremendous matchup. 
from a Celtic standpoint for the Bucs. They've always struggled with him. I think a lot of people forget, you know, last year that series, obviously we all know it went seven, and, and it was a great series. I thought Al was the Celtics' best player. By you know, far. everybody got caught up in how well the young guys played, and man, they did, but you sort of didn't expect Tatum and Jalen Brown to look like that, mm-hmm. but Al from start to finish of that series, was their best player. The Bucks had no answer for him. And traditionally, they have not had an answer for him. That, you took my go-to line. That's That's been my thing. Because like, I say the same thing. Like the, Al's on-off splits all of last season, but especially in that Bucks series, were just jarring. You know, like plus 16.7 with him on the court, minus 12 without him. You know, as good as the young guys were, and as much as we got caught up in what they were doing, it's always been Al. And especially against this matchup, like he's the one dude who you feel really comfortable can at least make Giannis work. Uh, and and we've seen it through two games. It's been, again, when I look at game two, I say, well, they let Bledsoe get hot. Middleton got hot. You know, if those guys, if the supporting cast steps up, you've got no chance. And so that, to me, that's the, the number one thing. Let, let, make Giannis work. And if he gets 40, he gets 40. But if you can't let Eric Bledsoe get confident, and that's my big fear is now all of a sudden they come to Boston and they got a little bit of swagger, I feel like. I feel like they feel good about themselves after game two. And I'm going to be interested to see if that translates in a tougher environment. So now I'll put it on you. What happens in games three and four? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think the Celtics respond in, in game three. I think that a lot of times in these series, it's about the more desperate team, the team that has more urgency. I think that will be the Celtics defending home court and just based on the way that they played. And then I, I think we're going back to Milwaukee for game five. I think it's 2-2 and it's a series reset and it becomes best of three. And, and really, if I look at this series, you know, I picked Milwaukee in seven because they have the home court. I think that will make a difference. But... If there's a big hurdle in this series still remaining psychologically, I think it's Milwaukee winning a playoff game on the parquet. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't do it last year. They came really close, but they just could not get over the hump. Obviously, different teams. You know, I mean, you know, the, the Bucks have significantly upgraded in a lot of areas, especially coaching. And, <laughs> and, you know, when you look at that, it's a little bit different. I get it. But I still think for those guys, there's a little bit of like a mental hurdle of can we win on the parquet? And I know Malika Andrews, from ESPN had a great story on Eric Bledsoe. And in that story, you know, he's quoted basically saying like, yeah, you know, he's, he's a little nervous. There's the potential there that he can be a little frazzled in Boston. And I know the fans are going to let him have it. And he's a key guy. I thought that was huge in game two that he sort of got some confidence. It's going to be, I mean, we'll see Drew Bledsoe jerseys. We'll see all that. It will be fascinating. I do want to go back to something you said. Yeah. So, so Bucks in seven. Yes. What happens if they, if the Bucks win in seven, what happens with Kyrie's future? And does that play any, impact in what he decides to do this summer so this has been you know my my Kyrie theory at this point and I'm and I don't think anybody really knows you know other than Kyrie himself I don't know if Kyrie knows well that I would agree with that I mean I think I think he I think he could give you one answer now of course that he feels really good about but you know by the time we get to July it might be something different I think he thinks he knows now but his feelings will change we've seen that sort of happen before right so I think that this postseason run for the Celtics, a lot of what's riding on it is trying to make that sort of final statement to Kyrie about this is where you belong. If they get bounced in the second round, I feel like it's a lot easier for him to walk away and end up with the Knicks. I really do. I, I think it's not just the season and the expectations of the season that 
the Celtics are trying to live up to and trying to accomplish at this point. I think a big part of this playoff run is making as good a case as you can. It's like a lawyer going in there with their final argument. This has to be a persuasive final argument to Kyrie, if $80 million isn't, that Boston (laughs) is the place that you need to be moving forward and you need to keep that pledge and stay here. And again, with all the issues they've had this year from a chemistry and continuity standpoint, if they get bounced in the second round, he might look at it and say, man, I'm just not getting through to these guys. So what do you do if, if he does bolt? Do you make the trade for Anthony Davis and just roll the dice with that, or do you just build with the young core? So here's the thing. If I can make the trade for Anthony Davis and not give up Tatum, I, I'll, I'll put my Danny Ainge cap on. I'll go full Danny Ainge. So uh, g- give me the trade then. So we're going okay. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, draft picks. Yeah. That's still a lot I don't think it's got – I mean, you might have to throw Al in there if Al, if Al decides not to opt I out. Think that, so here's my thing with Al. It's like Al can essentially decide if he wants to opt out. Yes. And I don't think there's any way he opts in – with the knowledge that he could be traded. Like, that's just bad business. That is bad business. You know, and, but like, you know, I also sit here and say Danny Ainge is ruthless. He could trick Al Horford into, into deciding to come back and then still trade him like, with the guise of, Al, we don't know what we're going to do. But I think the most likely scenario is Al knows his future and that's sort of part of, of, of how aggressive the Celtics can be and, and what they decide to do. I think, you know, listen, the way he's played in these playoffs, you certainly want him here, but, you know, there was also a lot of management and how that knee got treated this year. So that, yeah, that's a I whole another uh, another bag. But, yeah, like, it, I, I, it's just so, like, the way Tatum's playing in this series, everyone's sort of like, yeah, just trade him. Like, no, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Really? So no, Not the, for a year. Uh, it's not off limits, but, I mean, for one, I, I would trade him in the deal – as he said, he would trade himself right. if Anthony Davis is going to make a commitment. But for a one-year rental, you know, not knowing what the deal is, and I mean, you know more than I do. I mean, you know, the idea is that Anthony Davis wants to go to L.A. or New York mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, yeah, maybe you'll get him here and he'll love it. But if Kyrie's not here, that's what's interesting to me about the Celtics is it's like chicken and the egg, right? Do you make the Davis deal and Davis wants to come here because Kyrie's committed? Or do you have to try and secure some sort of commitment to make the Davis deal, even if he's not committing to you long term, to get Kyrie to stay? I think it's a really sort of difficult puzzle for the Celtics. And I've said this for a while, Chris, and you can call me you know, a pessimist. I said this back in February on the All-Star break. I think it is more likely, more likely that they end up without either player than, than that they end up with both guys. And what does that do for their long-term future? Like, what do you, do you think they can still be competitive with the young core? I think they can, but it depends. Like, where does Kyrie go? Where does, like, if, yeah. if it's like, yeah, hypothetically, if it's Anthony Davis, Kyrie, and like Durant with the Knicks, then no, Jesus. they can't be competitive. But otherwise, I think they can. Let's see what happens with that Memphis pick. The, there's part of me, the basketball fan of me, that says, okay, you know, we've all been pining for Anthony Davis for years and years and years. Now David Griffin's there. I think he's not someone that's going to get fleeced. You might not have a commitment from Anthony Davis. Maybe you should move on to some other targets. Maybe there are other guys, you know, like Carl Anthony Towns. He's not as good, but I think a Brad could mm-hmm. mold a guy like that and get more out of a guy like that. Maybe there's a guy like a Bradley Beal, who I thought played really well this year. And again, you stick him in Brad's system. How many guys have we seen in Brad's system? Suddenly you're seeing a lot more production than you saw before. They might have to look elsewhere to sort of find that guy. And your guy, Gordon Hayward, he's going to be even better yeah. next year. Like, I think next year he will be the Utah Gordon Hayward. So I think the Celtics' future is bright either way, but we just might have to get off this Anthony Davis train. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually with you. That's that's sort of like the, the bandwagon I'm, I'm hitching myself to is like, why do you – why would, as, as, as tantalizing as Anthony Davis is, as much as you need that top-end talent to be truly title competitive in the NBA, part of me sits there and says, why overpay – 
to get that guy with such an uncertain future and such, you know, like you just don't know if it's going to work out and it depletes your depth when you can make smaller moves and use those draft picks and, and, and maybe you only have to give up one of your young guys to go make a deal. And so I do think there's other avenues that we just sort of always focus on the extremes. It's like either they're going to have everybody or they're going to have nobody. We never sort of look and, and there, there's a sweet spot in the middle there, but that that's getting too far ahead of, your, uh, of ourselves. I've already abused your time, but I do want to get your take on yeah. the rest of the playoffs. Sure. Raptors 76ers. Right now, 1-1. One, one. Uh, I felt like the Raptors, uh, almost like the Celtics, they, they won game one and they were dominant. And then they just sort of showed up in game two. And I don't know if they just thought they were going to win. Uh, but on a night where Greg Monroe is like a go-to option for Philadelphia, there is an, it is almost unexcusable the, that they should lose that game. And so does Philadelphia have any chance in that series? They have a chance, but I like Toronto. I think Toronto just has more depth. You see how top-heavy the Sixers are. I think the Sixers have struggled a little bit to find consistent guys sort of coming off the bench. And then you never know with Embiid and his health. And I also just feel like the Sixers are limited by the the limitations right now in Ben Simmons' game. I mean, he's just not going to take those outside shots. And against a team that has defenders like Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard to constantly try and get into the lane and get to the rim over the course of a seven-game series, I just don't see them winning that way. Celtics fans should be petrified of, of the Raptors. I, I would agree. You know, I mean, it's a tough place to play, and the way Kawhi looks, it's just I, like I, I've I, I thought I thought all along that the the Raptors were good, but then when you watch them, when they really ramp it up, when Ka- when Kawhi is just like the best player on the court, and and that and that's fearsome. So I think you know if you got to expend a lot of energy to get through this series, if you're and I, I people keep yelling at me, I keep saying if you're lucky enough to get past the Bucks, and people are going lucky, they're so talented, there's no luck involved, and I go no, it's like. There's a degree of luck involved with everything, and it, it, it's more like if you're fortunate enough to still be playing, it's not anything to do with luck, um, then that is a really daunting conference final, and that's a lot of energy to expend before you even get to the Warriors. Um, Portland-Denver. So ESPN had a great article today where they, yeah. they asked, what duo is better, uh, the Lillard-McCollum or Jamal and, and Jokic? Ooh, I would say Jamal and Jokic. Really? I would. Not that's not a knock on on anybody. It's certainly not a knock on. Dame. I think out of the, those four guys, Dame's the best player. But you know, I think C.J. McCollum is a guy who makes his impact sort of, you know, offensively by scoring and really not much else. Where as if, if you look at Jokic, he can do a lot of different things. And you know, Murray's sort of similar, but I think he's younger and maybe has like a little more upside. I, I thought it was a preposterous question. Because really? because Lillard is so good, and I know Jokic is getting so there. Good. I agree. And and to me, like Jamal Murray is still way too inconsistent. I'm, I was stunned that the Nuggets won that first round series. You were? I was. I I thought San Antonio was just going to win. I like, and, and then the whole way, the whole way that Game Seven played out with Popovich not calling the timeout and them just kind of falling apart there at the end. I it, I, I don't know. I don't. It it's too bad because I thought the Spurs had the talent to win that series, and I just thought like the Nuggets were overachieving all season long. So you just thought they were a regular season team. Yeah, you know, or one of those young teams that is sort of on the cusp, like, you know, next year, Jokic is going to probably do like the Giannis, right? Where he's going to go to another level. He'll probably muscle himself into that MVP conversation. I mean, maybe he could bulk up a little bit and and not just be the guy who, you know, gets by on all his skill. And then maybe they're they're ready. Like, then Jamal Murray's been through it. They've all, like, had a taste of the playoffs and they could go to the next level. I just thought they were the classic case of a team that hasn't been there and would be overwhelmed by a guy like Popovich who just could push all the right buttons and, and get the most out of it. Plus, like, people forgot, like, LaMarcus Aldridge was great in the, in the second half of the season, and, and, you know, DeRozan was what he was. They needed more talent. Um, 
But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm still not just sold on Denver. So then to go up 1-0 in that series, like, surprised me. And so uh, I, I don't know what to think. I Like, Denver getting <laughs> getting to the conference finals, I feel like. The, well, they, let's be honest. We both know. I mean, the real Western Conference <laughs> final is, right is Houston-Golden State. I mean, so, it is. So, okay, so that's a good transition. Either one of those teams is going to beat whoever wins that Portland-Denver series, and I think it will be Portland. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> just by force of will of Damian Lillard. I hope so. I, like, I want more Lillard games. I don't yeah. think – I certainly am guilty of not – knowing how good he is and certainly that okc he's series. every bit as good as Kyrie. that's crazy so i uh, uh would you trade Kyrie for damian lillard yes just because damian oh, for this reason damian lillard uh is better from a durability health standpoint I, Kyrie's I, more fun i think to watch at times but damian Lillard. i mean dude damian lillard is carrying that team and he's done it for years like years <laughs> oh he's ridiculous i kind of feel bad now because when it was doing the whole pointing at the wristwatch thing. I was like, look at this, a brand new celebration in the league. Oh, I know. <laughs> and, and Lillard and Sunder. Game like, time. I had, I had so many people just <laughs> shouting in my mentions, and now I get it. Like, he's really good. I'd make that trade because uh, Damian Lillard is a media savant and could, like, re- lead to great stories. Like, Kyrie's fun to write about and stuff like that, but, he, you know, he's obviously hard to get to know and get beneath the surface. I feel like Lillard, you could just, you know, kind of like in the IT way, he would just constantly be telling you and, and giving you that honest, unvarnished opinion. And, and I want to see that Hulu live sports tattoo. With the shooting, the, the money guns. And <laughs> yeah, all exactly. I, I'm off. I need a Hulu subscription. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, all right. So, so all right. So, we, oh, we uh, yeah. Golden State. Yes. Uh, who wins? Do that. I mean, they're up 2-0. Like yeah. it feels like people are people are still pretty bullish on 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 the Rockets' ability to get back in this. Uh, I think the Rockets will get back in it. I think that's another one that's going seven. Um, I'm gonna go with Golden State though in the end. Draymond Green looks like the old Draymond Green. Yeah. You know, whatever happened between him and Durant, I think he's buried it. He's lost a lot of weight. I would say, and you both counts, Draymond has shed the baggage, both the physical baggage <laughs> and the mental and the mental baggage there. I love it. So when he, if he's playing like that, like to me, Steph Curry is a tremendous player. Klay Thompson, KD is KD, transcendent player. But what makes the Warriors unique and always has, even before KD got there, was Green. You know, I've always felt like he's what makes them unique, a guy who can play basically all five positions, do all the things that he can do. And when he has it going, I just don't think there's really like an answer for him. And he's so good defensively that I think that that's one of the things that that really hurts the Rockets. Also, uh, Chris Paul, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's age or injury. He just doesn't look the same to me. Like the Rockets need more from him in this series. They sort of need him to like take over a little bit and not just put it all in hard and i haven't seen it he, he looks almost like he's hurt does anyone in the east have a chance against whoever emerges yeah i, I think so Ooh. i do i mean if it's the celtics toronto i think they would have even the bucks i think would have a chance against golden state's not as good as they've been in the past because i don't think they have the same depth do you feel like livingston and iguodala make the same impact they have in the past no the, the warriors seem like a very top heavy team like steph curry's you know one bad cut away from being you know, handicapped in some way by the ankle injury. And I think there's a lot of pressure on those guys. Not only this has felt to me from the outside, like a much more joyless pursuit of a championship than in the past. Like it feels very rote, like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is what we're supposed to do. And really guys have like one eye sort of on like the summer, like is clay coming back. They already feel like Durant's not coming back. It just sort of feels like for the Warriors, it feels like winning the championship is not an accomplishment; it's an obligation. Yeah. So the only reason I'm I, I'm somewhat reluctant to say that anyone can win coming out yeah. of the East is because I think whoever win, whoever wins that Warriors Rocket series is just going to roll. Okay. In the conference finals, I feel like they're going to have more energy. No, that's just, a good point. You know, like, it's fair. It, 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 now, may, now maybe the the Nuggets surprise us, or whoever emerges from that series and steps up and makes it interesting. But it's just hard for me to see. I'm just I'm just not. 
as much as I, I 100% agree with everything they said, I just feel like it's sort of like laid out for Golden State to win one more and then peace right out, deuces the in the air, every, every, yeah. everyone goes their own way. I can see that. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I do. A huge Game of Thrones fan. Huge. I, I don't. I just... I hear all good podcasts bring up Game of Thrones at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to ask me this great question. Uh, I thought you were going to tie in, like, Game of Zones <laughs> on, like, you know, the Game of Zones thing that they have. Was that TNT that does that? Or yeah, is it NBA it, it's TV? fantastic. It's, like, so cool. I, I'm still laughing over that one with, like, LeBron and Brandon Ingram, you know, and, like, yep. they're at the table with the food. I don't, I don't understand like, any of them. Brandon, you have to pass that to LeBron now. <laughs> like, it's, like, so obvious. It's, like, great. It's so cool. I thought you were going to ask me, like, this great question about the Battle of Winterfeld and the lighting and, like... The only thing I know is that it's very polarizing about whether people liked it or not. Were you? Did you like that episode? Um, you know, I thought it was a little bit of a letdown. I did think it was really dark, like difficult to see. I turned all the lights off <laughs> in my house to try and be, a, and you couldn't really see like who was fighting whom. I can't believe. So I, here's my question, because I don't cover the Celtics all the time. I've always felt like Aaron Baines totally Looks, should yeah. have had a cameo in Game of Thrones. Like, how did this not happen? And the Celtics are just now latching onto it. They've put out the, the, the little giant Banes photo and stuff like that, and that's the only thing that's helped me try to, like, figure out what's going on because I'm just so far behind. And uh, our camera guy, Barry Alley, is like, you, need, you just need to dive in. Just, like, watch all the seasons. I was like, how many are there? Like, three? He's like, it's been on for ten years. You need to just, you know, yeah, get going. watch it. House, I mean, House Forsberg needs to watch But here's Game the thing. I, I like very few things in life, uh, but one I love is hype. And I feel like by the time I got caught up, I would be so mad that I didn't get to be part of this hype that I, it would spoil it a little bit for me. So I'm supposed to tell you to go like and subscribe if anyone has made it to the finish line of this amazing <laughs> podcast. I hope – leave a five-star review. Tell us how you loved the uh, uh, Chris and Chris in the morning uh, to uh, leave a five-star review. Uh, Again, get in the comments. Tell us how much you like listening to us. Uh, Draper and Sherrod will be back next week. We'll wrap up games three and four. We'll look ahead to whatever the future may hold. But uh, that's it. And, and normally Sherrod screams at the end of the podcast. So you have to scream, uh, we out. We out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>